You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I am Alex Reno, sitting across the table from Brian Frangie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, how you, is that how you pronounce it? Frangy? Frangy? No, no. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you pronounce it. Frangy. Okay, cool. Because yeah. you paused for just long enough that I thought that I had messed up the intro. No, no, no. The right intro is great. I, I just, the wording kind of threw me off. Sitting across the table. I thought you were going to go sitting across the table from me is Brian Frangy. Oh, okay, but then you gotcha. delivered it like it was a narrative and a that, short story. <laughs> I was like, I'm sitting across from Brian Frangy. It's just a little, it's a little confusing to me. That's why I paused. Okay. Because I, I okay. just misinterpreted what you were going to do. I made a longer sentence. You uh, you assumed that I was going to break it into two shorter sentences. Yeah. I am Alex Reno. It's my fault because I Sitting assumed across, I knew what you were going to say. The table from me is Brian. Yeah. I assumed I knew and I didn't. You know, you can't, uh, yeah. you, know, you, know, you can't assume. I, sorry. But yes. Let's start over. When we start over. <laughs> we can absolutely start over. Let's Welcome do, to do the Magna Theater Podcast. Okay, good. I am Alex Reno. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I am currently sitting across the table from one Brian Frangie. Okay, yes. Hello. Hello. My name is Brian Frangie. And where are you sitting? I'm sitting uh, across from you. That is correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> uh, off to a roaring start. It's good start. to be here. Uh, so w- let's start at the beginning. How did you uh, – what are your? what is your origin story? How did you get into improv? Okay, um, well – oh, how to get into improv? Or well, – Sure. I got into improv and, and actually I got into improv in high school. Uh, okay. the, uh, our, my high school, Wontaw High School on Long Island had a improv show once uh, or twice a year, once in the fall and once in the spring. Mm-hmm. And basically when I was a freshman, I auditioned and I didn't get on. It was like a lot of whose line is anyway style yeah, short form yeah, yeah. games. And then they would have a big assembly where, uh, in the, uh, auditorium. And you would do your short form games. By the time I was a junior, I kind of took over the group and I, um, I was, I was running it, holding the auditions and kind of, by the time I was a senior, they were like, let's not even do this anymore. And I was like, no, let's do it. Let's do it. It's fun. Yeah. And I actually just wound up getting a lot of my friends to do it. So that's where it started. Cause I I was into theater and stuff. I played Conrad Birdie and Bye Bye Birdie in my high school. I played. Titular role. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was actually, a, I was a very good actor in high school. I, I was in a few plays. I played, um, uh, uh, and I was, uh, the main character in Equus, whose okay. name is escaping me right now, in a, in a, in a Huntington Donald play. Donald Equus, yeah. And, uh, and since then I've degraded drastically. <laughs> I can't act anymore. Back then I was like, this guy's gonna be great. And right. then I, I stopped acting. I think it's cause I started doing stand-up, which sure. makes you more critical of things, including yourself. And I, uh, I've lost the ability to, to act. Also, you were in high school at the time? Yeah. So maybe you're still really good for like a high schooler as an actor. No, no, no. No? I was great. I was giving tips to the pros back then. There were, what? there are other people in Equus who were like, how do you do, how do you reach into your emotions like that? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I, you know, I'm Meisner. And then they're like, oh, well, you know, we, we should sit down and have a talk. And I'm like, sure, we'll sit down and have a talk. You know, right. That was back then. What were who are these who are these pros? Oh, the people that were in the plays. That were in the plays. Do yeah. I mean, they were playing the doctor and the horse. You know, and I was like, well, you got to think about carrots. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, make it real for you. That's what I do. This this horse. What does he want? What does the horse want? Carrots. Okay. (laughs) Now don't show tell. I mean, don't tell show. (laughs) Right. But I guess stand-up Whichever is... one works for you. <laughs> Acting is bullshit. People think that you have to take classes to learn how to act, but in actuality, right. it's just, it's just, just be. Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about when yeah. it comes to acting. Just you, plus or minus a little bit. I but I know people who take acting classes, who take a lot of acting classes, yeah. and every time I talk to them, they're like, "It's all bullshit." Because I like I was doing a guest. I played a monkey in um, one of my friends' plays uh, recently. It was a competition, and um, I was just in a monkey suit. Okay, and I had to come on at a specific time, and I was like, I, I turned to the guy who wrote the play, who was also starring in it, and I was like, "How do you act?" And he's like, "I don't know, man." And he's taken like years of classes. Right. It's all just, it's all, you know, it's all not true. Whatever sure. I tell you. Well, I feel like a lot of it probably has to do with, uh, you know, certainly study of the script and like breaking down. Cause I mean, you yeah, can't yeah, just, you yeah, can't yeah, just yeah, like yeah. read it. You can't just like ride one. Yeah. 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 There's a great book. All right. It's called, uh, a practical handbook for the actor. I think okay. that has everything you need to know about acting in it. All right. In my opinion. Look, that being said, I have, I am a not a good actor, but <laughs> he's not a good actor. I'm yeah. not a good actor. Uh, and you think it was stand-up that ruined that for you? If I had money, I would take classes. Okay? I'll put that on the board right so, now. Yeah. But right now, I don't have money, I can't take the classes, and I think they're bullshit. So, right. Yeah. If you had the money, uh, you would take the classes, because yes. probably you acknowledge that they Ray might Romano. have something for you. Wait, where did Ray, Ray Romano, Romano come from? He took classes, and then he, with this, with, there's this teacher <laughs> called, the jo- connection was? there's this teacher, Joanna Bexon, and then all the, all the stand-ups take classes with okay. her, and she makes okay. them into great actors. Ray Romano was one of them. So, is it like, specifically like acting for the stand-up? Not really, but it just so happens that stand-ups do take those classes. I think right. there's a history there. If there's a if there's a little bit of uh, success that she has with one or two stand-ups, then it's yeah. like, oh well, we should go to her. These people that we know, mm-hmm. and there were others. I forgot who right. they were though. Like, you know, Ray Romano and uh, you know Drew Carey or something. I don't know. Probably yeah. not him. Um. So what I'm interested to know, like, because what what is it about stand-up that you think? Because uh, you're a very good stand-up. Like yes. you've sort of you've you've really like you've like found your voice and I think like well, or are still cool. you know I'm getting I'm I'm working on it. You're getting there. Like every every time that I've seen you perform, like uh you do seem to like get a little bit closer, find a little more mm-hmm, comfort mm-hmm. in your own skin and things like that. And you do work really hard at it. Yeah, yeah. Um remember the first time that uh I think the first time that I really like met you, like when you were taking class, uh you had like this list of just all of the open mics in the city or just like trying to figure out like which ones you could make after class that night. Yeah. Was that when you were doing like 60? Yeah. There was a time, um, I was, this is like four years ago now where me and two other friends actually, believe it or not, the same friend I was talking about in the previous story about acting. Okay. So me, this guy and another girl decided that we were going to do 70 open mics in 30 days. Holy um, which, you know, that doesn't mean you have to do one every day. Like some right. nights we would do five, some nights we'd do six, then some nights we would do two. And some days are easier to do that than others. Sure. Um, but it was good because we made it public, right? We made it, we were like, look, we're going to do this to everyone in the standup community. We're like, we're going to try to do 70. We're going to try to do 70. And then, so people who ran open mics, when we, when we showed up, they would help us out. They'd be like, oh, let's oh, put them great. on first. Let's let them go. And, um, I wound up doing 72 open mics in 30 days. Wow. Um, the girl, Missy Baker, great stand-up, she did 71. Hmm. And then the guy, the actor guy, Luke, he did 50. Oh. He failed. And now he's an actor. Fuck Luke. Yeah. Luke Younger is a very <laughs> successful commercial actor. He's, okay. um, he's been the face of uh, many, uh, many a, uh, commercial campaign. He's very good at that. And he's got some great stuff and he's a great actor. But shitty at making that challenge. <laughs> shitty, shitty at doing seventy open mics Can't in do thirty it. days. And you know what? Do you know what happened after I did seventy? What? I got very sad. 
I think that's what it, I think over, over all things, I think it, it made me a little better, but mostly it made me sad. And I think that's something that you have to take away from open mics is that they have a very limited, uh, benefit to you. Right. Because a lot of open mics, I would say 90% of open mics, this is in New York City. I can't speak to other open mics. Like in Indiana, where I started stand up, yeah. um, the open mics there are like sold out with regular people. Huh. Because, you know, they're in Indiana. But in New York, there's a hundred open mics going on. Right. And it's filled with just other stand ups. And I would say most of the time, most of those uh, open mics, you don't get the response that you would get in front of a normal crowd. Okay. So it's kind of sure. like misleading. And then um, people kind of fall into the trap of doing stand-up for stand-ups where they're, right. you know, they're trying to push the envelope a little bit too weird or they're trying to um, be a little too edgy or um, – or they're just trying to play to the room, do some inside jokes. Right. And that's a trap that people fall into where they just start doing uh, open mic style stand-up comedy, which is not what you need to be doing when it comes time to audition for shows, right. uh, when it comes time to do club gigs that are going to pay you. Yeah. Um, and that's a mistake that people fall into. But, you know, so doing 70 open mics in 30 days was was good. You know, it was nice to do. And, um, you know, it, it felt good to accomplish that. But in the end, it just kind of made me really sad because you just basically when you say I'm going to do 70 open mics, you're basically saying like I'm going to bomb 65 times this month, sure. you know, and then five times, especially back then. That was not that far into comedy for me. Right. But that was uh, so you found you found that was so the sadness was just sort of like a compiling thing of bombing after bombing after bombing or when you were well, done you know, with I, it, wasn't, you like I wasn't i wasn't bombing per sure. se when you say it it sounds so bad but when i say it <laughs> you know i was you know it's just open mics right. it's not necessarily bombing it's, it's no, really hard course. to bomb and that's, at yes. open mics because everyone's just doing poorly you don't have yeah you don't have i because i've only done a couple but like you don't have any gauge of it because the the room is full of people who are going up next, and yeah. it doesn't mean that they're not enjoying your shit. They're just running through their set in their head, sure. and like trying to keep. Like once you get your set out of the way, then you like relax and you have a couple of beers, and like then you can sort of like laugh and enjoy. If you're not like completely deconstructing, yeah, what you did and where you went wrong right. and what you could have done better and like what really hit. But most of the time, people don't relax and have beers. Most of the time, they just leave. Right, they yeah. do their set. The rule is, you know, want to watch like two people, and then you can leave. Huh. People do that. But that being said, there are great open mics out there where you do get a good response and you do get an accurate representation of the material. And, um, you know, when you find those, people go to them. But then those get really crowded and then they get shitty and all this works in, you know, cycles. Right. Sure. Of course. I just, I just, I hate doing them, you know, but yeah. I do them. You know, I'm going to do one after this probably. Sure. What, uh, where? Uh, well, there's, there's a great one. Stay in New York is a good place to go on Wednesdays and Fridays. Okay. Um, but there's one at this place called Bunga's Den mm -hmm. on 14th Street, um, run by Chris Calagero. And, uh, he's a great guy, friend of mine. It's a great mic. It's one of those mics where everyone shows up and, and everyone laughs if it's funny. That's Which great. is all you want. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, you know. So you got into stand up back in Indiana as well. Yeah. So what happened was, um, uh, I went to Indiana University, uh, and I, I tried out for the, improv group on campus called full frontal comedy okay and i didn't make it and so i grabbed um one guy who i auditioned with who also didn't make it and then i held auditions for my own group which was going to be called huh. awkward sounds comedy later on was named that and um we held auditions and like seven people or eight people came to the auditions they were in the basement of um, the dorm that i was living in and uh, we wound up taking three people 
It was uh, this one guy named Andy Blastic, um, and Justin was the guy who I grabbed from the other audition, and this girl, Annie Kirkian. I think that's what the original thing was. Okay. It was four people. And um, uh, there was also this other girl who was maybe the funniest improviser I've ever seen mm. because uh, as she was from Taiwan. Okay. She didn't speak very good English, so her um, her scenes were great. She just, uh, this is going to sound racist. All right. But she was just amazing. She was very funny because she didn't have any preconception about yeah. like what's supposed to be happening right now. Yeah. And so we're like, we got to take her, you know, she's funny, but you know, she doesn't know what's really happening, but she's so funny. Like, let's take her. Maybe we can like mold her into like doing stuff like that we want. Like, for example, we were playing this. This is when we were doing short form. We were playing the short form game, superheroes. Yeah. You know, superheroes. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so you're supposed, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to be, uh, at this party as a superhero and they have to guess what you are, but you're supposed to come in and then name the next superhero. Right. And it's something that doesn't exist. Like, uh, like, oh my God, thank God you're here, uh, man who falls asleep whenever talking about fish man. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, uh, everyone has these names and then, um, uh, her name was, uh, Jin Yu. And she's standing there, and then uh, some. Uh, the next person comes in, and she goes, "Oh, thank God you're here, Superman." <laughs> it's like, right. Okay, good. And it was it was so funny because yeah. you know she she you know comedy is unexpected, you sure. Know? And she totally blew us away with that. It was like completely earnest. And, and then she yeah. was saying stuff like, "There's a cat in the tree. Can you save him? Uh, can you save my cat in the tree?" And then. Uh, He'd say like, okay, I'll go save it. And she goes, no, you don't have to save it. It's like, what do you mean you don't have to save it? And she's like, no, well, there's a, there's a raccoon up there. And it's like, well, what does that mean? There's a raccoon up there. It's like, oh, they're friends. And it's like, well, what is, what is, she was so yeah. funny. Yeah. But you know, after, after a few rehearsals, um, it became clear that, you know, those were flashes in the pan of brilliance and that really right. the cultural thing and the language barrier were too great to overcome. And sure. The, I actually sat down and I said, you know, do you really, do you feel like, um, do you feel like this is, uh, I forgot what I said exactly, but I was like, do you feel good about this? Do you feel like this is working out? And she said, no. Yeah. And then, uh, she, and then she was like, I'm going to leave. And I was like, okay, uh, thanks for doing this. You know, yeah. it was, that's the way the group started. Great. Yeah. <laughs> with, with a little bit of heartbreak right <sighs> off the bat. A little bit of heartbreak. There was a lot of heartbreak. The group almost broke up many times, but you know, we started off in the basement of, of this dorm and we yeah. did shows for like very little people and I would hand out, um, little sheets of paper to the audience members who came with, uh, suggestions of how to improve the show. Like, can please cool. write down any comments you have. And you know, for the first semester, that's what we did. There was probably like, you know, uh, an average of eight people watching our show and, um, and then, uh, the next semester, um, we expanded the group a little bit and we started doing shows in the student union, not in the, uh, in the basement of the dorm. And the group almost broke up again when I was a sophomore because of a woman. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was this woman who three out of the three guy, three out of the four guys in the group were like, had a crush on this girl. Gotcha. And she was terrible at improv. Uh. But, you know, we were all like, we got to have her in the group. 
So we brought her in. Three of the four guys had a crush. We were like, we gotta have her. Were you one of the See, three? Oh yes, I, this is what I'm saying. Gotcha. And I was like, we gotta have her. We can we can mold her just like Jin. You know, <laughs> yes, we can mold because her. That worked out so well for us. <laughs> Let's mold and her. And we all know how good an improviser Jin is now. And back then, uh, we didn't have a coach. Right. We were just it would just be like me running rehearsals because I was the one that started the group. Sure. And um, I. Uh, there was one time where like this girl just like couldn't stop laughing during scenes. Like, and not just like little laughs, you know, like how like Jimmy Fallon might laugh, but the scene's fine. Yeah. It was like, you're just ruining the, the show because you can't stop, like you think you can't, you're nervous laughter. That's yeah. what you're doing. So, um, I did this exercise where I just had everyone in the group stand in a row and, um, I would point to someone and I would say, repeat after me. And then I would give them a line of dialogue to say, and so I pointed to her and I said, okay, just say the squirrel is in the woods. And she couldn't do it without laughing. <laughs> I was like, no, no, just, just say the squirrel's in the woods. Yeah. And she'd be like, the squirrel, ha, 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 ha. And then, squirrel's um, funny. And then eventually she started crying. And I was like, what the hell is happening? And she went outside and I had to go talk to her. And I'm like, you know, uh, maybe this, this emotional, this emotion will uh, get me in there. So, <laughs> so you great awesome so like, this is working out great so um A proud tradition of college improv groups yeah so i mean eventually uh here's what happened you know i she, she uh we actually dated for a little while and then you know she abandoned me and then uh i was very sad and i thought about transferring abandoned you. yeah yeah i was abandoned and then i thought about transferring and then um uh, basically what happened was she did the entire group a favor. I think she's, she probably did the, the best thing that could have happened was she decided on her own to leave the group. And that, uh, kept the group going because huh. she was, there was no more conflict. Right. So anyway, the group existed for the four years that I was in college. Mm-hmm. We, we kept growing and growing. We, we around, when I graduated, we would average like 40 people per show and we kind of branched out of a uh, short form. We would do a long form set and then a short form game and then a long form set and that would be our show. Um, and, uh, I was graduating and I was like, I'm not sure if the group's going to exist when I leave. I, 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 we had several rounds of auditions over the course of the years. We had, we had new people and I was going to hand down the group to right. brand new people. Um, and I was like, I thought about writing a hand manual about like all the rules that you need to keep this as a student organization and, and all the little things that we were doing, how to work the equipment that we had. Like I bought like speakers and lights and things like that. And I started writing the hand manual. I got like 30 pages in and I was like, I don't think this is going to help them. I think this is going to be overwhelming. Right. So I never did a hand manual and I handed it off to, uh, two people, uh, this guy, Ryan Brown and this guy, Sean Liston. And, um, and then I just let them go. And the group uh, just kept going on and on. And then uh, three weeks ago or four weeks ago or so, I um, returned to Indiana to do some stand-up shows at a club there called The Comedy Attic. Um, and uh, while I was there, the group had its 10-year anniversary show. Huh. And they uh, they invited me and other alumni to come perform at this anniversary show. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. We ha- we've had alumni shows in the past. They've been great. And I went to the show, and there was 200 people there. Holy crap. 200 people. And I didn't know a single person in the cast. I just It was total strangers doing Awkward Silence Comedy, and it was more popular than ever. And, and here's the best part. They all say that this group is 10 times more popular than Full Frontal Comedy. That's The group awesome. that cut me yeah. when, I, for, when I was a freshman. So, so 10 years, you know, go by and, uh, the group carries on. 
That's amazing. And so this, so the full frontal comedy that was sort of the official school when I got trip, no when you no first got there or they were just they were just their own student organizations. Okay, student organizations. Yeah, yeah, got yeah. It. Uh, so you didn't get on it, but you said, "Why should that stop me?" And yeah. got a bunch of your friends together who you enjoyed performing with and yeah. had auditions and. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And there was actually groups that formed out of Awkward Sounds Comedy's rejected uh, auditioners. Incredible. And they, some of those still exist, too. Uh, what are some of those groups? There's one called, I mean, I don't know if this one still exists, but there was one called Who's On First. <laughs> okay. That's Indiana Hoosiers. So gotcha. it's H-O-O-S on first. Gotcha. Um, uh, there, was a, there was a couple others, but all this happened, like, as I was leaving and stuff like sure. that. Like, you know. But yeah, it was it was definitely a very uh, touching uh, moment for me. People were like, "You did this," you know, and I was like, you "All right." Did. I felt I felt very. I cried in, in my car alone. What led to that decision to um uh to go from the full frontal uh, uh audition that does not sound like what it is, but the full frontal comedy yeah, yeah, audition yeah. uh to like what was the what was the thought process like what steps did you take to be like. I should do this. I should start. I should start my own. Oh, because I knew that I could do it. Okay. And I was like, you've been doing it I'm not going to just sit here and, you know, wait till next semester to do comedy. Yeah. If you want to do comedy, then just do it. Yeah. I mean, everybody, you don't need someone else to approve you. Yeah. You know, so I, I mean, that's what I did. I was like, and you know what? I'll just perform every week. And it's the same thing with, with, with everything. People feel like they need to be on a team or they need to get on the show or they yeah. need to write for this. But it's like, just produce your own material. Just exactly. keep doing that. Just keep doing performing. And eventually, you know, people will either find you, you'll decide it's not for you, or right. you'll something will hit. Yeah. I feel like at any level that you are in this, you can sort of look around you and find people that you sort of like resonate with and mm-hmm. – grab them and start something with them like yeah uh there's i can't think of any single level where you couldn't do that be it a practice group or be it something like no i've been doing this long enough like i want like let's put a show together like let's put an actual show together right uh i know what the kind of work is that i want to do and i know the kind of people who want to do the same kind of work mm-hmm. so let's do that yeah yeah you did something like that right you started uh, something once or twice uh, yeah, I mean, the, yes. You started a few things. I started a few things. Yeah. Um, honestly, that was like, uh, 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 I feel like that's, that's always, cause like I, I'm similar in that many of the things I auditioned for, I didn't, I like, I auditioned for comedy sports in high school. Yeah. Um, which is a very similar, like sort of like short for me, mm-hmm. gamey. And it's, um, uh, it's super, it's even, so there's like theater sports, which is all of the comedy sports, same comedy sports games, but that's like where it started. Mm-hmm. Comedy sports came from that. But they said, um, uh, rather than focus on the improv, we should focus on the sports part of it. Oh my I god! I think people love like the competition more people than the love actual sports. Yeah, so they're like it's in like jerseys and like instead of a host or, or a, uh, an MC, there's a ref. Yeah, and, like with a whistle. And yeah. It's, uh, Wait, so where was this? There are these fouls. This is in Bakersfield, California. Wow. Um, well, comedy sports that it happens all across the nation. Yeah, well, it's a huge franchise, and it's insane that there's one in Bakersfield. Like, I don't know. Yeah, they used to do it in the back of a uh, uh, of a video rental store. Like, that mm-hmm. was where they would have their shows in the early days. And then it was like a pizza parlor, and then they like then independent theater. Um, but like they had a they had a high school league. So imagine, yeah. so it's comedy sports in bakersfield which is already two strikes against you and then it's high school level yeah so that's low that's pretty low on the uh, and i uh i auditioned and didn't make it oh. so that was a 
that was a blow to that was a blow to the old ego. People don't know. There's there's all sorts of political things that go on. Even even whenever someone no, has yeah, power. of course, yeah. Um, but that was so that was like uh, but like all the whole time, like from there to like uh, Harold team auditions in Los Angeles and stuff like that. Um, I always had this sense of like, why would you? Why wait for someone else to like pluck you up and put you with people that you have no control over that? Don't get plucked. Yeah, exactly. Get plucked. Get plucked. When it's time to be plucked, be plucked. Sure. I mean, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Like, nothing but, wrong with getting plucked. but understanding like what it is and like the role that that plays and then yeah. like, it's not necessarily going to be, it's great to have the opportunity and it's great to have the exposure and it's, it's a wonderful experience. It certainly can be, mm-hmm. but it's never going to be as artistically satisfying as the things that you put together yourself. Sure. And the people that you like find that you sort of like assemble into these things and yeah and it's just important to just to just do something because you'll, you'll yeah. stagnate you'll fall apart you know you, you can't not you can't expect to not like if you want to make it onto a team and then you don't and then you audition and you don't get on you can't just sit there and, and wait, wait yeah. until the next audition you need to go do something exactly and sometimes just the fact that people see you doing something puts you in the forefront of everyone's mind without a doubt and then you get on a team but more importantly, you're practicing and you're getting better. Yeah. And you're getting more experience. And you're developing your voice and it becomes this thing of like, you're not, uh, uh, you're not like trying to do it right by anyone else's standards anymore. You're doing it right by your own and you're finding out what your standards are and you're, uh, uh, you're developing as an artist. You're just doing it and supposed to like trying to fit into somebody's box, whoever's would, box that is. I would say this though about finding your voice. I would say, you know, there's, I bought books, mm-hmm. you know, you know, books. Yeah. I bought I'm them. Aware of books? I had. There was a book called "Finding Your Voice," and I read it. And I did the work. <laughs> right. I did the worksheets. Um, well, if there's one way to to there, learn how to find your voice, it's from a book. Take it from me. All right. And this is someone <laughs> who's made. I mean, I've made a lot of voice mistakes in mm-hmm. in my short comedy career. That's so how far. one finds one's voice. Do not think about your voice. That's yeah, my certainly. You sh- that's not something that you can decide. No. Your voice finds you. You can't. Yeah choose your voice and the people who do choose their voices they're short-lived because they just they settle on something and then they think that's their thing and then maybe they'll get success and then after three years it's like is this a real person i don't know larry the cable guy he's he's riding a jet ski now sure he's on commercials i mean that he larry the cable guy is he makes a lot of money yeah i mean there's there's people you know who who fall on that especially early on in your career yeah i think people don't remember realize about larry the cable guy is that he did put in like 20 years before he was larry the cable guy even and uh or whatever he 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 was just going by like he was like jimmy the yeah yeah yeah. jimmy the roach killer (laughs) that was his name (laughs) he tried out a bunch of different professions well see that's what yeah yeah jimmy the roach killer uh johnny the ice cream man uh, sam the doctor like sam the doctor then he yeah he was respectable very respectable uh, material then (laughs) yeah exactly i went through a lot of different phases in my like especially early on um like there was I, I call there was one uh there was one period where I I went through this thing where I called myself frazzled frangy. I didn't I, in my own head. This is how I'm referring to it right. in the past. Right. Gotcha. Like back then I wasn't like I'm going to do a new thing, frazzled frangy. Yeah. Everyone's going to love it. No, I'm like this is how I I label this period. You know how like World War 1 they didn't call it World they called War it the, One. the Great War. They called the it the Great War. Wars, but once the, yeah. they had World War 2 they were like, "Hey, back then that was like World War 1." Yeah. So I'm saying like back then that was like frazzled frangy. Gotcha. And what I would do, I would come you on have stage. The gift of hindsight to say gift this. Gift of hindsight, yeah. exactly. 
what I'd do is I'd come on stage and I'd be frazzled. I'd be like, oh God, everything's just too much, you know? <laughs> yeah. Here's the, here's pretty much the same material. Um, but I'm going to be, uh, it's going to be overwhelming. Yeah. And like, I look back at tapes from that time and I'm like, what the fuck was I doing? Yeah. What was I doing back then? And it was because I decided it's like, it's why Charles says, check out these shirts. What do you think of these shirts? It's because every four or five months I would have new, I would have a new quote unquote shirt that I'd be like, this is my new thing. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So I'd be like frazzled frangy. There was a time when I would just be yelling. That was my thing. I yell now. <laughs> no jokes. Just, just yelling. yelling into a microphone. I yell, I yell now, but I don't, I'm not trying to yell. Right. Like the, the best thing that I do now is that I don't try to do anything. Well, that's the thing. Like I've, cause I've, uh, having seen you, like I've seen frazzled frangy come out, but it comes out like in an appropriate time where yeah. it's like, yeah, this is the joke for that. This is the moment of this joke for that. That's probably right. You know yeah. what? Cause I don't think frazzled frangy was something like I, I didn't like sit down in my room and come up with 10 personas and then decide on frazzled frangy. I think probably one time at a mic or something, frazzled frangy really hit. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, that's how I have to be. Yeah. I have to be like that. That's my thing. Yeah. And then when you do it forcefully, it doesn't work. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes frazzled frangy comes out and sometimes I yell, but right. uh, it's not because I'm like, I got to be the yelly guy. I'm sure. not, I don't want to be a baby burr, you know, which right. a lot of people are doing. I just, I just sometimes I yell. Yeah. Some people might say that I'm yelling right now. Uh, well, the microphone definitely am- amplifies your voice. To yeah, make yeah. It sound. I mean, I'm yelling depending on We're how. All yelling, but you depending know, on how I, loud your device so is. I've got Grant here to lower yeah. the levels when I'm yelling. Um, but like, and don't don't you find that that's true though for improv as well? Like, you find something that works for you for a little bit, and that like gets you to the to like the next plateau. Yeah. But then it's like you end up doing that, and you're not surprising yourself anymore, and you're not really inspiring. Right. And like you start feeling like, oh, this I suck at improv. Even though you may not, you're at like a higher level than you were before. You're just not surprised by anything anymore because you're doing all of the same shit. Yeah. And then you like find some other new character, and then like you force yourself not to do that, and then you arrive at like some some new some new thing that will eventually lead to your next rut. Yeah. But uh, uh, but that at least like gets you to this new aha. Oh oh, I do this. You know, it's the the McNapier chapter in Improvise, the book Improvise, the one that he wrote. The, the chapter that he wrote. The chapter that McNapier wrote in the book. <laughs> in the book that he wrote. In the book that was written by uh, Dick Clark, <laughs> Improvise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where he talks about uh, people fall into the trap of having their five go-to characters. Right. And they work. And then eventually, for some reason, they just stop working. Yeah. And he says, you don't realize that you have an infinite well of characters. Yeah. And he says that's a pivotal moment in people's improv careers where when they realize that their five go-to characters stop working, they either A – decide to come up with more characters and just and realize that they have an infinite wealth characters or b they decide that improv too hard and they give up <laughs> that's 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 what it says in the book interesting yeah yeah i don't know how he got that chapter in there like, <laughs> i know dick, dick clark on a lot of favors wasn't wasn't uh wasn't re- but i agree with terribly. the plateaus thing yeah i think comedy goes in plateaus like you uh you know you're working really hard you're climbing up the mountain or whatever and then you reach a plateau and you at first you feel like oh i'm coasting i have it all figured out i got these new shirts it's all working yeah out. and then eventually you just hit a wall and you're like i fucking suck yeah. What happened to me? I was great three weeks ago and now I'm terrible. And it's not that you're terrible. You're not terrible. Now you're just getting better. Yeah. And because you're getting better, you're realizing that you could be better than you are right now. Yeah. You couldn't even realize that when you were back three weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. And so when you realize, oh, I could be so much better, then you start climbing again and it's like really hard. Yeah. And then you get to another plateau. But people, people will get to these plateaus and they feel like it's all is lost. But the one thing that I've learned is that 
you never, it's rare, unless you have like a drug habit or a brain injury, you rarely will drop down from the plateau you're on right. to a plateau below. Right. You're usually just stuck there for a while if you're stuck. Or even like I find like uh uh if if we may if we may switch to another analogy ever so briefly, but like uh, if you think about like a stock market, like even a good stock will have like peaks and troughs along the way. And even when you do like you were up here in this one show and then like you've spent the next like two or three weeks below that point, you may not realize that you're still at a higher point than you were. Yeah. At every other show prior to that, because mm-hmm. we're always judging ourselves by the best scene we've ever done, by the right. best moment that we've ever had on stage, mm-hmm. and we're constantly trying to like shoot for that again. Mm-hmm. And then you reach a point where you're hitting that with a little bit more uh, consistency and a little bit more regularity, and then you start feeling good. But there's still those moments where you dip below that. And after a point, like I still remember, uh, uh, there was a period of time. I think it was. Was it on Hello Laser at that point? I think it was on Hello Laser where I was like every week. I just felt miserable everything that i was doing i just felt was utter bullshit and i was very like expressive of that to like the other people on laser like to to some of my friends who were were improv people and they didn't know they're like no i thought that was i thought that was fine and it was it took me a while like realize like okay after a certain point everyone just sees you as being like oh this is this is like you're still doing perfectly fine improv but to you, because you're always judging it by the best scene that you've ever done or the best that you've ever felt on stage, anything less than that, you're gonna be you're gonna be dissatisfied, mm-hmm. and you're gonna feel like it was maybe not as good as as everyone else thinks it was. So that's when you have to sort of force yourself to when people tell you you had a good show to be like, yes, thank you. Oh, I always say that. Yeah. Should, uh, the worst thing you can do is someone tells you you have a good show and then you discredit them. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, what if they really did think you had a good show? And yeah. then you're just like, no, I didn't. And then they're like, well, maybe I was wrong. Yeah. I read a book. Uh, I read a book. Um, Another one. I love books, especially <laughs> self-help books. All right. I read a book called How to Talk to Anyone, um, which uh, it was like 60, like one tips for, for 61 little tips for big success. Nice. And uh, one of them was about uh, how to accept compliments. And they say... You huh. should uh, always accept a compliment by by giving a compliment to the complimenter. Okay. So, for example, if someone says you had a good show, it's fine to say thank you very much. But it's better to tell them why they're so smart for realizing it was a good show. <laughs> so they go um, – you had a good show. And then you go, oh man, thank, that means so much because I've, I've really been working on like my character stuff and okay. I've been really trying. So that means a lot. Thank you. Okay. And they're like, I'm really smart. I see. I just intuitively deduced that he was working on something and Interesting. I, good show. And that's very sneaky. And then that makes them more likely to compliment you again. Yeah. The worst thing you can do is say, uh, um, so, uh, hey, good show. I uh, really, I thought it was terrible. Oh, it was, you should see, you should see him last week. It was so much better. Which is so interesting because I, uh, I took German in high school and in the, in the book, there was a segment on compliments and the way that w- they expressed in the book was, uh, you get a compliment, like, I like your, I like your shirt and you're supposed to say, oh, it's not very good. Ah, like, that's, well, that's German. That's a very German, that's yeah. a very German way of doing that. Uh, and all of the, all of like the drawings looked so depressed too. Like it's when they were not, getting compliments, it's like, uh, I don't like it that much. No. Yeah, and and, uh, and then in, in I took French in high school. Yeah, okay? okay. And in French, when they said when they were like, "Oh, that's a nice shirt," you're supposed to say, "Oh, do you want to have sex in the ass?" <laughs> so that's a very French way to yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they all still looked very depressed mm-hmm. in the drawing. Oh, oh yeah, even during the sex. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Well, it's still French sex. But I'm not trying to say this to be sneaky. I don't think right. you should be sneaky. No, I and think the way, you should be genuine yes, about it. Like, yeah. Now, like, when someone compliments you, think about why that means something to you and then give them that answer. That's great. Don't just say it because you want to be like, you want to trick everyone to compliment again. Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, the way that you, the way that you said that up of, uh, uh, when somebody compliments you, compliment the complimenter on, uh, them, like, them being so astute, like, in my mind, the way that I interpreted that was, uh, oh, you had a very good show. Uh, thank you. You're very good at noticing how brilliant I am. Yes, yes, yes. Like, uh, but yeah, having mm-hmm. the, the other way of like, I've, it means something to me that yeah. I've been working on that is, uh, I believe a much more genuine. I'm better at examples than I am at the description. Right. Well, well I mean, it could have been the, this, I'm also very bad at interpretation. Yeah. Well, um, I do want to say one last thing about the plateaus thing. Yeah. Is that whenever you think that you're, you're getting worse, like that's why stand up is so good because in stand up generally people will record audio all on all of their sets mm-hmm. and a lot of the times they'll record video on right. um any important sets and um whenever someone's like I fucking suck I'm so much worse it's like just look at a tape of yourself from 1 year ago sure. and tell me that every show you do is not better than that one right you know yeah that's true and also an- another thing that um uh I fucking love about uh, being in a community of other artists and other improvisers and people who are st- like everyone's working on their shit here. Like everyone is is uh, is working on their shit. Um, everyone's so willing to talk about it. Like everyone's so willing. Like if you if you want help to get better, if you feel like you're shitty, just find someone whose opinion you respect uh, and say like, hey. Uh, this is what I'm going through. Can you take a look at this for me or can you, and like everyone's so willing to like give feedback and, and help each other, you know? Yeah. Uh, at this level, it's so, it's great. Um, there's a quote, it doesn't really apply, but, uh, there's a good quote. A stitch in time saves nine. <laughs> that might be a good character. A guy who just says, "Oh, I got something." That I got something with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, two 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 boots are better than one boot. And there's a there's a quote that's like, uh, "Ask for money, get nothing. Ask for advice, get double." Huh? It doesn't it doesn't exactly apply. It, doesn't. it is a quote. Sure. Yeah. It is a quote. Yeah. It, uh, it it covers several of the topics that, yeah, uh, that yeah. we were talking about just now. Yeah. But this is New York fucking city. I mean, everyone's doing something here. Like everyone's mm-hmm. everyone's here to uh, to develop and grow. Mm-hmm. And it's in what other city can you more readily like just reach out and grab somebody that is uh, uh, in your field that is you know, more or less at your level that you respect yeah. whose opinion you really admire and get them to uh, actually like sit and like fucking buy them a beer and they'll actually talk to you. Chicago. Well, Chicago. That's sure. the answer. Yeah. Chicago. And you know, Chicago's like probably a little better for that even because people are, are more alcoholic. Yeah. More alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, you've also, you've also, uh, in addition to, uh, the improv and the stand up, uh, got a podcast. Yeah. The Unbelievable Podcast. It's a conspiracy theory podcast. Yes, it is. And uh, we record it here at the Magnet and we plug it. We we do plug the theater every episode. We get a good following. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's very good. If you like it, you can you can iTunes that unbelievablepodcast.com or yeah, it's great. Unbelievable Podcast on iTunes. A lot of the a lot of Magnet people listen to it. I listen to There's it. There's a lot of fans. You you've been a, a, a co-host. I have been a co-host. Yeah. I talked to an alien. Yeah. Yeah. Um. No, we have a, uh, we get good feedback. We get a lot of bad feedback too, because sure. people treat conspiracy theories like it's their religion. And if you make fun of it right. in any way, they get really offended. 
Um, but you know, overall it's, it's been a good experience and it's a, uh, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's, um, it's fun to do for sure. Yeah. And I want to talk to you about this too, because, uh, 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 it is, it is a, it is a conspiracy theory podcast. You do talk about a lot of conspiracy theories. Um, and you, you approach it in a very like skeptical way. Uh, like I feel like I've, I don't know. Have, have you ever like dealt with a topic that you've walked away from it being like, yeah, that's probably real. Oh, well, there's, yeah, sure. There's tons of stuff. I mean, we, we, we approach it. We don't approach it skept so skeptically. We, we approach it wanting to believe it. Yes. And if we're, we're not going to, what a lot of conspiracy theorists do is they'll just buy into stuff wholesale yeah, because yeah, someone yeah. mentioned reptilians or something like that. They're like, oh, well, it has oh, to they're be they're true. Reptiles, yeah. Um, but in the actuality, for our listeners, what are reptilians? Reptilians are, well, David, I, there's actually, I have a two minute video on YouTube explaining what reptilians are. Um, just search for, um, a reptilian conspiracy theory explained in under two minutes on YouTube. And I will, and I'll explain it. But basically they're lizard people who, who control humanity from the alpha draconis star system. Right. Anyway, what was I saying? Uh, you were saying, uh, that people buy it wholesale. People buy it wholesale. If we you mention the reptilians be, once, then. When, if you just go into it like ridiculing the whole concept of conspiracy theories, you yeah. come across as a huge dick, and that's not us. No, because you guys really love the subject matter and understand the subject matter and are yeah. pretty well versed on it. Yes. Um, and are able to sort of like approach these things from different angles and, uh, and ref- refer to a, a wide range of. And we believe the gist of the whole thing. Right. It's the specifics that can be funny. Yeah. When people think they have it all figured out and they're like, well, <laughs> in this situation, you know, the aliens have blonde hair and wear blue belts. Right. And that's something that, you know, just like anything else, you can make jokes on. It's sure. not like we're, we're, we're taking down, but people make jokes about religion and people make jokes about the doctor's office. Right. It doesn't mean that the doctor's a fraud. It just means that there's just stuff you can have takes on. Right. Exactly. People get offended. Um, but no, there's definitely stuff that I believe in. Like, you know, definitely Monsanto is trying to control the food supply and poison us and they don't care. Sure. Um, basically any conspiracy theory that involves the rich people trying to take advantage of poor people in order to maintain power and get more and more power. That's usually something we believe in. Yeah. We believe that aliens exist. Mm -hmm. We believe that they're out there and we, we, I, I personally think that there's a possibility that we live in uh that we're either creating our own reality or we live in a holographic universe um or that or that chance of that i believe that that what we're seeing is um that this world that we're seeing is not necessarily um what's actually there um so yeah i mean there's definitely stuff that i believe in but when it you know when it comes down to things like um i get a youtube comment we i posted uh, one of the podcast episodes audio on youtube um, a couple of years ago about this guy, George Adamski, who, um, was abducted by aliens several times and has a whole story about it. Um, and I post, and we kind of took a negative view of Adamski. We say we don't, we don't believe him at all. And I posted this YouTube video of the audio and, um, I get a comment on that video like every two weeks of someone being like, you're a sack of shit. Adamski was re- real. He was right. You just, I, I couldn't listen to this. All you guys do is make fun of people. And it's like, look, we had uh, we ha- I, said the random critical voice on the internet. Yeah, like we had someone on the podcast who knew Adamski and was drinking with him. Huh. And Adamski said that um it's a good thing that I came up with those at alien story or else I'd be working in an office right now. Or something to that wow. degree. Sure, yeah. And it's like, look, this guy's a fraud. Why yeah. buy into that stuff? Anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean there's you can definitely listen to the podcast if you want to really hear about <laughs> this stuff. Uh, uh, so let me, let me throw some stuff at you. You tell me believe, disbelieve. Okay. Uh, reptilians. I believe, I believe 
I believe in the concept of reptilians. I don't necessarily think that they're lizard people that live in the center of the earth. I don't think David Icke is right. wrong. I think it's symbolic. Okay. Awesome. Uh, MK Ultra. MK Ultra is a proven fact. That's the CIA documents have been disclassified. That was a program. Was it, but do, do you think that they had garnered any sort of success with it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, they definitely were able to test, uh, like psychedelic drugs on people. Mm-hmm. They were able to hypnotize people. They tortured people. Um, they did medical experiments on people. Um, whether, I think the, the question becomes like, is Britney Spears an MK Ultra subject? Is Lady Gaga an MK right. Ultra subject? And, um, I wouldn't be surprised. Sure. Uh, Anyone in the Mickey Mouse Club? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know. Um, uh, uh, Project Pegasus. Oh, uh, probably not. You know, time traveling. I, I don't know. I mean, it's a good story. I yeah. mean, that's what I'll say. It's a good story. Yeah. Probably not true. Okay. Um, what was the name of the, the alien that we had on? Oh, um, oh, Andy Lou. Andy Lou. Yeah. Andy Lou, you know, he says he's an alien, but he's actually kind of disappeared. He said maybe he ascended to the next dimension. That's what he said he was going to do. Okay. Um, but you know, he's, um, he believes he's an alien yeah. and I think he believes he's an alien because I think he believes that we're all aliens in a yeah. way. And so but then his consciousness just sort of came his online consciousness came point. online. Yeah. So I believe that he believes that. Right. And I think he's using the word alien and that might not be how we view alien. Sure. But I don't, I don't disbelieve what he's saying. Cause a lot of the stuff that he had to talk about was the how like the universe is like you create it, you know, right. We are these beings that can exist everywhere at once. And you know, yeah. Multiple timelines and perceptible timelines. And- sure. So I was trying to help time travelers get back to their own timelines who got lost in our version of the past. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't disagree with him. Yeah. I mean, and that was the thing, like talking with him, like I genuinely believe that he believed everything he was saying. Yeah. Um, just fascinating. And I love that he was getting texts from his girlfriend the whole time. Yeah. His wife. Yeah. His wife. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yes. He was married. We got married before he realized he was an alien. That's a really tough draw. That's a bit of bait and switch. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Poor her. Um, you also got a, uh, you do sketch. You've done a, uh, you've done a two person sketch. Right. Show I had a two person like. sketch show with Rob Stern. We're called Frangie and Stern. We had, uh, we, our, our, our heyday was last year. We did all, we did all the festivals. You know, we did San Francisco Sketch Fest, Chicago, Philly, New York, um, a few others. Yeah. Rochester Fallback Festival, which I don't think exists anymore. Um, so yeah, we had some success there. That was really good. It was really fun. Um, we, we don't do sketch anymore for now. We okay. made a short film that is in post-production right now, Great. like a 10-minute film um, that I wrote awesome. and starred in. And I've, I'm very embarrassed watching it because of my acting. <laughs> oh, really? I'm like, I don't – it's embarrassing watching yourself perform in something that you wrote. Right. You know, it's just – I'll never do it again. Um, I'll – or maybe I will, but I, I'll – and the next time I write something, I won't be the lead in it. Right. Unless it's a something else. Uh, who was, uh, did you have a, did you have a director or were you directing it as well? Rob was directing it and I was in it and I wrote it and we had a DP, we had a sound guy, we had, we had a bunch of assistant directors. Um, there's a couple of magnet people in the movie. Kevin Craig's in it. Um, Dimitri Sheen is in it. Love that guy. Um, Rebecca Acevedo's in it. All of these people are great. Uh, Ashley Ward, who's not a magnet person, but she's improvising. Also great. Um, well, you were in a sketch, you know, when you were, yeah, you with yeah. her, with me. Yeah. So we, before Frangie and Stern became a thing, I had a half an hour sketch show. Rob had a half an hour sketch show. Right. And we, we cast others, including you and Ashley Ward in it. 
and we did a, a, a sketch show. I recall. Um, I played the devil trying to buy a loaf of bread. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I hope I'm not forgetting. Oh, uh, Anne Marie Collins in it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, also, I did a, a one person sketch show, a character show called I'm from Long Island, where I did, a um, a half an hour of characters all from Long Island, basically a character sketch show, which I'm still going to do. I, I, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm still working on it and I did it. I did it a couple times already. I did it in the New York uh, sketch festival this year right. and I did it here at the magnet as well. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, what's, what role does improv play for you? Like in the sketch, like, cause do you, are you someone who sits down just at the computer and pounds it out? Do you, uh, do you bid around with anyone first? How do you, how do you tend to generate sketch material for yourself? Every time I've gotten, you know, some, like some people create sketches by having a good improv scene. Yeah. And they say, oh, we can turn that into a sketch. Every time I've done that, it hasn't worked out yeah. for me. I always have to sit down and come up with the premise and come up with beats and then write it out and then work on it and rewrite it consistently before I get something. Sure. It feels like for me, improv is very fun yeah. and it definitely helps me conceptually think about like what a good sketch involves and definitely yeah. characters and things like that. Um, but mostly it's totally separate for me. Improv yeah. is, is like a, a good fun, like release every week that I get to do. Um, that doesn't uh, it doesn't affect my writing. It helps with performance for sure, right? Um, especially in sketch and then in stand up. If you ever have like an act out or something, you know, improv helps a lot. Yeah, just stage presence as well. It helps for sure. Um, but in terms of the writing, it's just like a, and not just writing, but like wh- whatever type of writing you're doing. Like, yeah. it doesn't help me in, with you know sketch writing or stand up writing or monologue jokes or blog posts or writing a book or uh, writing a sitcom specs. Right. You know. It's all separate. Yeah, because that's so much, uh, so much of that is just having the discipline of like sitting down and putting words on a page yeah. or a screen. The hardest thing is to start. Yeah. Once you start, it's like, oh, this isn't so bad after all. It's all that procrastination that you, you know, I, I know yeah. all the countries in the world. Do you? Yeah, all 196 countries. And you know why? Because I, I know all 196 countries because I tried to write. You know, and <laughs> you wound up I just, procrastinating I'll by do, teaching yourself. When I don't want to write, I'll do anything. Yeah, I'll sure. do anything to not write. Sure. Sometimes I'll do stuff that I would like. Sometimes I'll do the laundry instead of writing. Yeah. And it's like I didn't want to even do this laundry. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just like you know, uh, I'll like start cleaning. I'll just right. like clean the bathroom, and just because I, it's it's really great motivator. Yeah. Not to writing do other things. Yeah, and then it's like, wow, I got so much stuff done today, except the one thing that right. I was supposed to do. You know, a trick that I've learned is uh, tell myself I'm going to write for two minutes. Mm-hmm. Just write for just write for two minutes. And then normally by the end of that two minutes, I will keep writing. Sometimes two minutes is up and I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. And like then I'll go and do other shit. But at least I like promised myself two minutes and I did two minutes. Yeah. And a lot of people give it an hour. But like I find like if I start for just two minutes, I can carry on and I can keep going for like an hour or more easily. Yeah. But I have to get that ball rolling first. Got to get the ball rolling. Yeah. I took a class once where um, the guy said that you should always set a time limit to your writing. Like you should say, I'm going to write for 45 minutes um, because then you know that there's an end game. So then for that 45 minutes, you're writing. You know that you're concentrated on writing for 45 minutes because you know it's going to end. Right. And especially when you start getting like, oh, I only have 10 minutes left. I, you're not going to procrastinate as much if you say, right. I'm only writing for – and then at this time, at, at you know, at 945 – 
then I'm done. And yeah. then I can move on and, you know, learn all the countries, right? Yeah. But right now I'm writing. Um, and so that, that definitely helps. Schedules helps too, especially sure. if you're a freelancer. Yeah. If you don't have a, a oh, full-time yeah. job, I write, I, I, every Sunday I, I do a schedule, an hourly schedule of what I'm going to do in the following, you know, week. Isn't that helpful? It's very helpful. Yeah, I because uh, I run into that too because I tend to have like a lot of like video editing and other things and writing and there's tons there's just always projects to where you know you've got a fucking million projects yeah um always so much to work on but like really force myself to, like I will work on this for an hour mm-hmm. and I will stop and then I'll work on this for an hour and then I'll stop have, have something to eat and it's the stopping then, yeah exactly the stopping that is key I mean the starting yeah. is more key but the stopping is key too right especially if you stop a little bit before you're ready to stop. Because then when you have to restart, you have like this, all this momentum already. Right. People say that when you're writing a spec script or something like that, you should stop like right before the scene ends hmm. because then the next day when you, you know come back, you're, you're like, have... oh, sure. I'll, I'll get on a roll here because I'll just finish this scene and then I'll already be in, in the writing mode. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Charles Gould, whose father um, is a very successful movie writer, he, he says that his dad told him to just, whenever you're writing a, a, a script... Just write three pages a day, for better oh. or for worse. Just write three pages a day. And if you have to do a spec script, you know, a 30-page pilot, yeah. then after 10 days, you'll have the first draft. Yeah. And maybe it'll be not great, but that's rewriting is way easier. Exactly. One thing that I... Uh, maybe it's not. Well, I used to do, like, um, uh, I used to just, like, sit and write by hand. Um, a lot of times it would be, like, I had, you know, friends who were working in a bar or something, and I was waiting for them to get a ride home, and also drinking for cheap. Um, so i just sit at the bar and, like, write everything by hand. But then the next day I had all of this shit, not good mostly, but like there was like all disjointed and like arrows pointing and everything. But at least I have a point to like now sit down at the computer and start entering things in and I can edit as I go. And by the time I get to the end of where it is, like you said, like you have this momentum, you can sort of see where it's going. You've edited all the stuff that was kind of wonky before that you just sort of forced yourself to like, I'm not going to stress over it. I'm just going to leave these words on a page. Um, Because there's something also about just like, like connecting your brain to your body to the pen to the page that like that circuit yeah like that complete circuit Mm -hmm. it's like something very like satisfying about that yeah um and gets more satisfying the drunker you get sure that's kind of nice too um i do want to say this because a lot of i do get asked a lot as a performer at the magnet that does stand up a lot of uh improvisers will ask me how do i start stand up yeah so i do just anyone who's listening to this who's interested in starting stand up um I read a, a, there's a great book called Poking a Dead Frog, which is, mm-hmm. was it released this year? Yeah. Um, and it's just interviews with different comedy writers and things like that. And, uh, in one of the chapters, Pat Oswalt is being interviewed. Um, and he, he said that he gets asked, like, well, I'm thinking about starting stand up. And he says that, um, he tells everyone the same thing. And that is just start performing. Just get on stage. Yeah. Just get on stage. And he says a lot of people take that as being dismissive, but he says that's truly the best advice I yeah. can give you is just start doing it. Yeah. Um, so I would say if you're at, if you're a performer at the Magnet or in New York City anywhere and you want to start doing stand up, then, um, you can go to, um, badslava.com is the website B-A-D-S-L-A-V-A.com. And that lists pretty much all of the open mics in New York City. And around the world, actually, they've oh, expanded. Wow. Uh, and then just go start off. Just go to one a week. Um, just go to one a week, and you're gonna and and then go to one the next week, and do the same five minutes each week. 
that no. you're doing. Don't don't try to write five new minutes each time. Just do the same thing over. Everyone does it the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And try try to just. If you can't think of jokes, just try to tell stories. Just go up on an open mic and tell a funny story. Sure. And, and it's better to be talking like a normal human being yeah, yeah, than yeah. anything else, especially when you're starting out. You don't want to go out there and be frazzled frangy. You just want to be, oh, right. I'm just a guy talking. And people will let things slide because you're just normal. The people that the people that um, get pointed out as being particularly bad are the ones that are fake. The ones that you, you yeah. see right through it. Oh, yeah. When the ones that are just acting like they're like they think they're supposed to be acting, baby burrs, people who act like Bill Burr, yeah. um, people who act like uh, like that that hipster comic who looks up into the left after every joke and does pithy one liners. Like, there's so many people who do that, and it's right. like, is that really who you are? You know. Yeah. So I would just say go to go to open mics um, and just start talking like a like a tell a story and tell yeah. us about something about you instead of you know going up there and being like oh, my. Uh, you know, I, I, I went to the dentist. It's like, who cares about teeth? You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. is that really how you talk? Yeah. Like, don't talk like that. Yeah. Like, be just talk like a normal person, and whatever comes out, because you're not gonna like, like I said, you're not gonna be able to force it. It's gonna take years. And so the worst thing that happens is people say, "Well, I'm thinking about doing stand up," and they're like, "Oh, great, so you should go and do it." And then three years later, they're like, "I'm thinking about doing stand up." It's yeah. like, great, go do it. Go do it. And yeah. then it's like. Look, if you and then three years later, and it's like, look, if you started seven years ago, you would have been on TV already. Yeah, exactly. But ju- you know, just just go, just go do it. So start doing it once a week, and then after like a three months, you know, reassess: Do I really want to do this? Is this really for me? And then start going twice a week, and then start going three times a week until you're going once every night. Yeah, just doing open mics and meeting people. But that's the key: is just doing it. And and don't stop until you're 100% sure that I'm never going to do this again. Right. Because I know plenty of people who even did it for like two years and then were like, I'm going to take a break. And then they take like a six-month break and then they come back and it's like we've all just passed you by. Yeah, yeah, And it's like now you're lost and then you're going to wind up quitting anyway. No one respects you because you were just – you were gone. Yeah. Um. So just just keep at it because I always say this to people. It's like I know very few. I mean there's a few. I know very few comedians who have been doing stand-up for 10 years, like for legitimately doing stand-up for 10 years, right. who have nothing to show for yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Everyone who's been doing it for 10 years, has, the only people who don't have something to show for it after 10 years are people who aren't self-aware. Right. People who don't realize, people who don't even hear when they're not getting laughs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People that can't self-correct, there's nothing you can do for them. They were never going to make it. Sure. But if you are good and you work and you uh, are, are aware of what's happening and the responses you're getting, if you do it for 10 years, you're going to get something. Yeah. I know very few people who have nothing. Yeah. So that's all I'd say. Just get up. Absolutely. Badslava.com. And, you know, if you want to, you can ask me, like, what open mics are good. I mean, I'm not even that connected to the open mic scene as much as I used to be. Right. Um, but I know a few that yeah. are good. But, you know. Yeah, and I mean that's because uh, I, you know, I tugged tugged on your coat about that uh, a couple of years ago, and like really enjoyed myself. And you know, I'm definitely guilty of like I'll get back to it. Uh, uh, and you know, Bad Slava is great. Like I have gone to a couple of mm-hmm. those and uh, just like looking them up because there are they're constant. Like every night of the week, there are multiple to choose from. There's at least ten. Yeah, every night. Yeah, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things, like what I've found is uh, the ones the times that I've felt most successful are the ones where I'm dealing with subject matter that just literally started from, this is interesting to me right now. And, right. like, you could do five minutes on that. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, you didn't open yeah. mic at the Village Lantern uh, that I, I saw. I remember it was hosting. I don't even know. Yeah, you were hosting. That was great. About uh, uh, Gardaloo. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause you just came up and you were just talking like, oh, this is something you weren't like, hello, it's me, Alex Marino, and I'm going to tell you a joke about Gardaloo. Yeah. You know, it's like, what, who the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, we can tell when you're bullshitting. Yeah. Even if you don't even realize that you're bullshitting. Yeah. We can tell, you know, because, you know, it just, you can't force it. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows. Every, I mean, it's the same with improv. It's the same with anything like, the same with acting i would imagine too i don't Brian. know acting's bullshit <laughs> there is one other thing i will say though and that is to anyone who's starting out don't do bringer shows don't right. do bringer shows yeah. um and if, when you start doing bringer shows the other comedians look at you and laugh and it's just a scam to get you to bring people to a comedy club and get them to pay 20 bucks plus two drinks and if if someone is asking you to bring your show and you're con- and you're considering it you're probably not good enough to be seen by anybody at that point. They, that's the whole uh, appeal of bringer shows. They're like, there's going to be industry there. And it's always like, oh yeah, who is the industry? And they're like, oh, well, from MTV and Comedy Central. And it's like, oh, it's the guy who does like the, who sorts the mail at Comedy Central is coming. Right. Or it's like, or, or it's like, it's going to be me, you know, yeah. when I book I'm bringer shows. Industry. And it's like, even if it was, you know, Lauren Michaels at this bringer show, right. you're probably not good enough. They, there's up there, they're, Lauren Michaels is not looking for the next SNL star at a bringer show. Right. No one is looking for this stuff at bringer shows. Don't do them. They're a scam. Yeah. There's only one reason you should do them, though. (laughs) (laughs) There's only one reason you should do them. You hate at least two of your friends. Yeah, yeah. The one reason that you should do a bringer show is if you are beginning to apply to festivals or shows or things like that, Mm. and you absolutely, without a doubt, cannot get on a decent show to get a tape – then a yeah. bringer show will generally get you a good tape. Okay. But don't think that doing bringer shows is going to get you like, uh, you know, some sort of good standing with the industry. They'll probably just look at you and be like, oh, this guy's a dollar sign. But that's when you're, but that's when you're ready. That's when you've been doing other shows and like generating material and you're, you've got a, you've got a solid set that you're ready to like put on tape and start submitting. Put on ta- you know, yeah. yeah, start sending it out. Yeah. Put yeah. it on tape. Start, but I wouldn't, I would never do, I wouldn't do that before, uh, with less than a year of experience sure. under your belt. Um, because you know what, a lot of these, a lot of festivals and things like that, they, they try to mix it up. Even if you're the best comedian in the world, they probably won't take you two years in a row. Right. So like if you go to a great festival like Bridgetown or something like that, which is in Portland and, um, you're just like, you're like, okay, you were fine. You know, you probably, they're not going to take you the next year. Maybe they won't take you the next two years. And then it's like, well, you probably would have been better served to just wait and then go when you were good enough to turn heads. Right. You know, it's the same thing with, uh, with Montreal. If you're, uh, it's really hard to get into the Just for Laughs festival, but if you do get into it, at least you knew that you were good enough to get into that festival. But when you get into that festival, you want to be the best comedian on the new faces. Of course. Yeah. You don't want to be, you don't want to just be some like forgettable face because you only get to go once. Yeah, exactly. You only get to go once and people that go too early, they don't get anything out of it. You know, and it's like yeah. you probably would have been better served waiting. That being said, you don't get to choose when you go. Right, you got to exactly. audition. Yeah, but man, it it sucks if you're if you go there and you're not and you're not ready. Where you you went, right? I went. Yeah, I went this year. I was a new face. Were you ready? I feel like I was very ready. Awesome. Uh, I was ready. I went up. I I had to go first on both shows. Wow. Yeah, it was like annoying because sure. like my first set went great. And then they were like, you did so great in the opening slot your first time. We're going to put you up first again. <sighs> and I was like, thanks a lot. 
But no, I, I did great. You know, I, I felt really good about it. I left it feeling very sad because there was people who like exploded out right. of just for last. There are people who yeah. got like everything. And the worst feeling in the world is when you just finished your big just for laugh set and you're standing outside with all the other comics, like it's a middle school dance, just waiting for industry to approach you. Yeah. And then nobody approaches you. Right. Or you're standing next to a guy and everyone's approaching him. It happens so many times yeah, yeah. where people just walk up to uh, the guy next to me and they're like, I'll just use a fake name. Like, oh man, Jake, you are so funny. You're so great. We got to have a meeting with you. Why don't you, why don't we meet with you tomorrow? We'll talk about, you know, what we can do with you. And then they'll turn to me like, oh, you were good too. But Jake, man, you were the best. We got that happens so many times. Yeah. And I was like, and leaving just for laughs, I was like, oh God, this is, this is, this is happening to me. I'm the one that's not ready. But then after, after, after a while, I, like I right. got enough opportunities out of it. And yeah. I felt very good about it. I feel very good about it. Are there any projects that you've left or accomplishments that you've made where at the end of it, you, you didn't feel sad? Oh, like, like, cause like, I feel like, I feel like you had your 70, uh, shows and oh, I felt, felt sad. sad at the end of that. I feel good you about feel just sad. for laughs. I okay. feel really good about just for laughs. Yeah. It was leaving it that like, like in the moment, right. like when, when you see people that are just like, they're going to be huge. Yeah. You know, there are people who just like, like, um, Hassan Minaj, who now is a daily show correspondent right. was a new face this year. Oh wow. And it's just like, you could tell like everyone, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's going to be huge immediately. Yeah. You know? And it's like, well, you know, I'm not that guy. I'm not going to be huge immediately. But I did get, I got more success than others. Sure. And I got enough success out of it that I was like, okay, I feel also, good about this. I feel like in so many things, though, you've got to mind your own lane, too. Mind like, your own lane. If you got more success for you out of it, mm -hmm. like, that's something. Like, uh, if you got, if, like, you came away with, like, fewer opportunities, that would be a huge letdown. And that happened for a few people. <laughs> really? They, and because they they went and they didn't do well, right? And now they can never go back. Oh shit! So not only yeah. did they not get anything, but now right. they can't even do just for laughs again. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it, it's uh, it's definitely something to be to be weary of. That being said, if you you know, if like I I got in the first year I auditioned, I didn't audition more than one time. But I think the reason is is because I didn't audition for six years. Right. And then finally, I asked someone for referral. And, and then I auditioned when I was truly ready. I felt like I was ready yeah. anyway. And so, I mean, I would recommend that to anybody, you know, just don't do it. If you're not, if you feel like you're just going to slide in on the, if you, if you, if you're not going on stage being like, if I don't get in, it's a crime. Right. If I don't, I'm the definitely the best one here. If you don't feel that way, maybe you're not, but you need to feel that way. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, if, I, if I that's not the case, then don't, then don't, don't do it. Yeah. Don't, It'll happen. You yeah. know, time, it takes time. I read a book once. No way. Yeah. It's a, Dick uh, Clark's improvised? <laughs> it was a, it was a chapter that Nietzsche wrote uh -huh. in oh, a God. Dick Clark book. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's about, uh, it's about metamorphosis. And I mean, it's his own fucked up metaphors. But, um, he says like at the beginning you are a camel and the camel says, put a load on me. And these are like all of the teachers of the world, like all in your life that like, put a load on you and if you're if you're a camel that like accepts the load and takes it upon yourself um then uh, you become a strong camel and if you're one that like bucks it bucks at your the people who are trying to help you and trying to uh, uh help you grow um then you don't have as strong a load so when your transformation comes you transform into a tiger and if you're a well-loaded camel uh you become a very potent tiger who's able to like 
uh, slay the dragon thou shalt. It's a weird fucking metaphor. And then you yeah. turn into a baby at the end of it. But oh, just good. that idea of like, uh, <laughs> of, of like being, taking that time and like really like accepting accepting the period where people are just going to like where the world is going to be like putting stuff on you where you're going to be learning it is going to be a little bit of a burden but you put in that work so that when you transform you do have that power behind you like putting in the six years of just uh developing and developing your craft and uh you going through various uh iterations of your own voice uh to be able to like use them all and have all of those voices uh uh to be able to approach your material yeah and then to bring that to the stage like uh so much better than if Frantic Frangie had tried to audition for exactly. Just for Laughs, you know? If I got in, if I got in as Frazzled Frangie, <laughs> I would be trapped in Frazzled Frangie and nothing would have, nothing good would have come out of yeah. it. Yeah. So I'm so glad, I mean, I, I wouldn't have gotten in as Frazzled Frangie. Right. He wasn't good enough. But, but even like, by some, by some random chance, like I that's, get pushed in somehow because everyone end up else with was a, bad too. You'd end up with Frazzled Frangie, the sitcom. Yeah. You'd be well, stuck doing that voice like Fran Drescher has for her entire sure. career. That wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> you know, but like, I don't think it would have worked out if I got, right. if I managed to get in as frazzled Frangie when I was there, it would have been like, what the fuck is this supposed to be? <laughs> yeah. And then I would have just been, I would have gotten nothing out of it. Yeah. But luckily, at least I feel like I was ready and, uh, you know, I had a good time and That's it's good. over. Uh, awesome. What are you, uh, so what are you working on now? Where, where, where can we see you perform? Um, well, I perform with the music industry at Megawatt on yeah, Wednesday do. nights, uh, which is great. Um, you know, I, I, I do stand up all over the place. You know, I, uh, I, I'm trying to, to, you know, do, uh, do more road work. So I'm, uh, you know, I guess I have it all on my website if you really want to go see a stand up show, but you can go to brianfrangie.com if you want to learn more about that. You can also follow me on Twitter at yeah. brianfrangie. I also have a blog, which I revived yesterday called fakefilmsequels.com where I make f- movie posters for uh movie sequels that have have not come out yet. All right. Um the last movie sequel was um Interstellar 2. <laughs> okay. But this time they have to use the dog van from Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> and then it's a movie poster. Uh gotcha. Um fake so it's fakefilmsequels.com so I just rev- I I took a 5 month break on fake films. I was like this is bullshit. Why am I doing this even though it was like everyone loved it. Yeah. And I was like, this is bullshit. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? It was fun. Yeah. People liked it. Yeah, you gotta, I'm going to do it again. Exactly. So got to step away from that sometimes. I do. I'm going to try to do a new movie poster every Thursday. Great. Yeah. Um, fakefilmsequels.com. There's the podcast, unbelievable podcast. If you go to iTunes, just give me five stars if you don't listen to it. Just yeah. the, the five stars on iTunes, the iTunes store. Check it out. There's some great stuff. If you really want to get, if you really want to feel depressed, uh, uh, listen to the one about the first Thanksgiving. Oh um, yeah, boy, yeah. that's a that is uh, that's a bummer. Yeah, I told that story to my family <laughs> over Thanksgiving. Yeah, and the thing is, I I was listening to that on a bus on a rainy day, and I knew the story. And just listening to it again I was like, oh yeah, no, that that yeah. happened. That's yeah. real. We recounted a lot of Indian deaths in that. Oh yeah, I remember Squanto. Mm-hmm. Squanto. Yeah, so there's that. Um, I'm gonna be if any, I'm gonna be in L.A. next month or in January at the end of January in San Francisco and L.A. in January. Awesome. And, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I got, I got, I got some things I don't want to talk about cause I, who knows if they're going to happen or not, but you know, well, keep a, keep an eye out on this guy. Yeah. Knock on wood yeah. listeners, uh, uh, on this, uh, wood colored table. I think yeah. there's a particle board in there. Does that count? Knock yeah. on particle board. That's wood. 
great. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this has been the Magnet Theater Podcast. This has been Brian Frangie. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been Alex Marino. This over here has been Grant Goldberg, our engineer. Uh, and you have been our listeners uh, to whom we are deeply and forever grateful. Check out magnettheater.com for all of our information about classes and shows, more podcasts and things like that. Thank you so much for coming by, Brian. Oh, my pleasure. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast. 